No, it'll shorten me a little bit. So the thing is, I think we just need to start on time. And yeah, he's going to start on time. So you talk about life, which clicked in money matters. He's trying to get you see. He's trying to get it back to life. Yeah, yeah, he's, well, he's fixing it now, but then he went to then he went to go to Kanye Sada and just bleak, looked on that and went right to money matters. So God's telling us we need to focus. <laughs> no, because he was you can see he was trying to fix it, but it wouldn't somehow it was it was it wasn't staying in place. And then Michael, confused on the verses. So the whole thing was like technologically challenged. And this yeah. is definitely went up today. It went out today, yeah. We, we reset the breaker twice. Yeah. It's just, yeah, so. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Throw some milk in there. And get down and do a soccer ball in your head. Okay, cool. I just wanted to let you know that we are going to try to convince a little bit. Victoria showed up and we weren't sure.
Hey, good morning, everyone. How are you? Hope you're doing well. Welcome. Hey, let's all stand to our feet. We're going to get started. Some people are still making their way in. Welcome to La Jolla Community Church. My name is Michael. This is my friend Sophia. It's great to be here. If you don't recognize me, it's because my hairdresser cut my, my hair way too short. Uh, I was ordering food and they asked if I wanted a military discount. I was like, oh man. <laughs> Waking our hearts to God's love this morning. He's good. Your love is stronger, your love awakens, oh. 
find the key to that. <laughs> Good reminder that this is not a show. <laughs> Come thou fount of every blessing Till my heart to sing thy grace Streams of mercy never ceasing Call for songs of loudest praise Teach me song melodious sonnet Song bright flaming tongues above Raise the mount I fixed upon it Mount of Well, you guys are singing out now. This is good. We've arrived. Yeah. Here I raise my Ebenezer, hither by thy help I come. And I hope I have your pleasure safely to arrive at home. Jesus saw me as a stranger wandering from the fold of God he to rescue me from danger bought me with his precious blood Listening with the intent to obey you, 
the one who has the life, the words of life. And we pray this in his name. Amen. Amen. Well, hey, welcome. If you just made your way in here, welcome to La Jolla Community Church. My name is Michael. This is my friend, Sophia. We're so glad you're here. Um, before you say hello to one another, I just want to say this is, this is like why we do church physically, because we're humans. We come together. A lot of life right now is lived on TV screens or on your iPhone, but nothing is more beautiful than this moment right now where you're going to turn and say hello to your neighbor and get to know them, ask them how their week was. So go ahead and do that before you grab a seat. Welcome the people around you. Well, good morning, good morning. Welcome to La Jolla Community Church. This place is bustling, bustling with excitement. Well, welcome. My name is Ian O'Mara. I'm the director of Community Life. Hi, good morning, and I'm Bridget Riley. Um, I have been blessed to be a member here at La Jolla Community Church now for five years, and um, I am a mom of two young men, uh, 10 years apart having two only children and so one is here in senior high but I promised not to point him out this morning and uh, my husband happens to be with us this morning which isn't very often because he's usually in prison preaching not not, serve, not serving <laughs> I love that I get to say that so fun <laughs> so it's a little less intimidating than first service um, so I'm here a little, little bit yeah so um, here to help with announcements, not that you need that, Ian, but um, so we're here to talk about life groups. So we are kicking off life groups today. And so if you're not in one, today is the day for you. So God created us to have meaningful relationships within the church and life groups are where we will connect with others to live and experience growth and transformation. We have several groups that are open, but if you feel like you'd like to start your own, please um, head out to the welcome table after service to discuss that. Awesome. This week is our men's carne asada night. If you're a guy or you know a guy, or you just like me, this is the thing for you. It's going to be a fantastic opportunity, but you need to RSVP today because we need to order the, the food. We need to order the supplies. So if you haven't RSVP'd or if you know someone you haven't invited them, today's the day. Reach out to them. Make that phone call. Send that email. Make that phone call. Make that phone call and get someone to RSVP and RSVP yourself. Don't forget to do that. It's going to be a fantastic time and you don't want to miss it. So our last announcement is Money Matters for May 5th. So this is a time where you can reap the benefit of two combined workshops in one day. So the parents will join uh, with Nicole Pearson in the Welcome Center and uh, kids from six to 10 will be with Rihanna Contreras in room three and teenagers will be with Ryan in the Surf Shack. So um, it isn't always easy to talk to your kids about finances, I know. Um, so it's a vulnerable conversation and very valuable to have. Um, with the definition of cool always changing, whether it's about fashion or electronics, um, kids often feel that they can just take their money and spend it however they'd like. But you need to help them avoid that trap by giving them something that will put them on the path to lifelong happiness through management 
um, skills that they can use for the rest of their lives. So please sign up for that today. I know with my kids, as soon as they get money in their hand, I'm like, can we go to Target? <laughs> we just got that. Fantastic, but you have to RSVP. And if you have your bulletins, go and take those out. There's information in here about all these events, or you could always go to our website, ljcc.org. And if you're, uh, we also are a church that's better together, and we're, and we're rooted in prayer. So we have a prayer connect card on that front page there. You can fill that out during the service at any time. The ushers will come by after the sermon to collect those. Uh, right now, we have a, a recap video. It's a celebration Thank you of all that's happened here during Holy Week. So please turn your attention to the screen.
you for coming. Thank you for coming. As you can see, there's a lot going on. So everybody who participated and was here during the whole thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, and we also had some other great things going on last month or earlier this month. We had several women that went up to the women's retreat up at Forest Home. And I'd like to invite some of them up here on the stage to join me. Thank you, ladies, for joining us. We're just going to ask everybody one short question to kind of get a circus. You can see there's a lot of participation. Rochelle, can you give me one short thing that you walked away from the weekend with? More connection, vertical and horizontal, with these beautiful women. Becky, something you walked away with? For me, the words that uh, kept resonating was soul quieting during that weekend. Fantastic. Rebecca? <laughs> <laughs> um, I, it was an amazing, uh, um, I felt privileged to watch each and every one of these women from the youngest to the oldest um, serve one another and um, servant leadership. Like uh, Amy and I did not commission them to do the things that we were seeing them do, but um, you just, the women came and then they laid down their lives for one another and offered so many different um, uh, acts of service and a healing hand and prayer, and it was so beautiful to see these leaders rising up on that mountain. Victoria, something you want to share? Yeah, I think it was really nice with um, all, all the people there. Uh, I would definitely encourage, like, a, if you haven't found very solid foundation in your faith, um, to join one of the retreat because our sister Celeste, like, was got baptized in the process and we saw that she's been going to church and like she's been in the service, brought food and so um, we never thought that, yeah, so it was a surprise and there was a lot of tears during the process and there, those are happy tears and um, the, um, the speakers there was really good, really moving, like uh, best combination of like a worldly grace as well as like a deep knowledge in and root in Lord. So um, yeah, if you already have a firm foundation in your faith, then um, it's your time to burn even brighter with uh, your fellow uh, sisters and brothers. Awesome, thank you. Liz, something you want to share? Sure. Uh, it was, the retreat was amazing, really was. and. Um, I had a longing in my heart to go back over to the other side where the lake was and the glass chapel. Just I wanted to worship in there with my sisters, and I got to do that. It was amazing. Amy? And then because of her longing to go to the glass chapel to worship, as she worshiped, something moved in Celeste. And after we were walking around by the lake, Celeste said, well, how do I get baptized? Because she accepted Jesus in her heart on Saturday night, and this was Sunday when we were leaving. And Liz said, well, get down there and baptize her. <laughs> yeah. 
And come to find out, Rochelle shared later that that is where all the family camp, all the kids get baptized in that same place. And we had no idea. I didn't know. I've never been to Forest Home, but I baptized her. We walked in. We got, oh, there are steps here. <laughs> we were walking in. We were like, oh, that's the kids just walking to the lake, I guess. <laughs> but it's because they baptize everyone there in front of that cross. And it was just so beautiful. It's something that I will take with me the rest of my life. First of all, I didn't know I had authority to baptize anyone, but apparently we do in Jesus Christ. So I baptized her, and you know, we just said, get ready for the ride of your life, because your life is going to change, and it just has. And she can't be with her, here with us today. I hope she's watching online. Hi, Celeste, because just a dear sister. Just amazing. <laughs> That's what I was going to say. Is, yeah. <laughs> and I'll make it quick, but Amy didn't share that she went on the zip line I wanted to go to, but I'm very glad I didn't. I would have died of a heart attack. <laughs> and I don't mind going to heaven, but not that fast. <laughs> anyway, Amy, when she saw it, she said she was petrified and she prayed fervently for protection. And in the, in the film, I mean, the pictures after that, we saw a bubble around Amy. And you can't say it's anything except a bubble of protection. Oh, is it up there? Yeah. Oh, good. So when you pray for protection, God does send help. Oftentimes it's a round of angels, but in this case, we all get a bubble of protection. Thank you, ladies, for sharing that. If you want more information, there's a retreat coming up in October, and uh, what they shared in the first service, this is open, you can see just from the ladies up here, it's any age, any stage, it's a fantastic opportunity. If you want more information, talk to these ladies, there's a retreat coming up in October that they're all going back to, so if you're a lady, you know a lady, this is for you. Thank you. Along with that, we wanted to celebrate something that has been going on here for a while. John Wilson, will you join me up here, please? John, good to see you again. Can you tell us a little bit about your ministry? Sure, thanks, Ian. Um, you know, so we, we do small build projects uh, serving God in disadvantaged communities in San Diego. And uh, we've been doing this for a while. Um, we do new home construction. Some of you may have seen some of that type of work with Habitat. But uh, mostly what we do is, is we do uh, repairs to existing homes. So we do exterior repairs, we do critical interior repairs. I've done veteran home builds, Dave Neiman, uh, and, uh, and we've even uh, built uh, playhouses for kids. I see many people out here that have, that have served these projects with me some repeated times. So it's just a great way to serve. I can tell you that it's a bonding experience. It's joy filled. You can have fun. Uh, you're gonna wanna do it again when you do it once. And, uh, and it's just, uh, you know, four years plus going now, we'll, we'll keep this rolling. Can you tell us a little bit about Habitat for Humanity? <laughs> Habitat, so it's not Jimmy Carter's uh, program. A lot of people think Jimmy started it, not. Um, it was started in the 1970s, and it's a Christian build ministry. It's the largest of its kind. Uh, and we have served over four million people since its inception and done over 800,000 new home and rehabilitated home projects, both nationally and internationally. 
How do people participate in these projects? Well, anyone can participate with certain age limits. Uh, you know, for the exterior home repairs, it's 14 years old and up. Uh, if it's a, a new home project, it's 16 years old and up, any age and stage. Uh, there's no experience requirements. A lot of this work is it's very, very humble, uh, and there's always a, a task that we can find to put you in place of. So uh, the, uh, the reality of that is, uh, is you, can, you can come to Ian and I uh, to learn about it, and we'll talk about it more in a minute. So with that, like, how could people get involved? I mean, because we see people saying, wow, and, you know, like, they're really engaging with this. How can people get involved at LJCC? Well, I work closely with Habitat to coordinate these projects and the timing. Um, and you know, normally we'll get a notification about a month or so out ahead of a bill. And uh, we'll be announcing those in service. We'll be posting it on the LJCC group. Um, uh, you know, you're welcome to join us. We're gonna get some sign-up sheets going here shortly. And, uh, and I just ask that, uh, that you consider this as a way to serve. You know, you open your hearts, set yourself aside for a moment. Give us a Saturday's worth of time. We start at 8.30 in the morning, we finish mid-afternoon. And I can promise you that you're gonna, you're gonna feel connected to each other. And we're gonna be doing what we've been talking about during the Easter service, which is to love your neighbor and to find ways to be God's hands in our local community. Just a great way to serve. Thank you. Thanks, John. If you want more information or if you want to sign up to get on the list, come see me after you service. Youth, you're excused. Thank you for hanging out with us so long this morning. And right now, I'd like to welcome our senior pastor, Pastor Steve Murray. Well, we're starting a new uh, series today. Uh, we're calling it Rooted in Christ. Uh, why Easter? What difference does Easter make? Uh, it sounds like a silly question, but if you've maybe not been tracking with us and you're visiting today, you're wondering, so I, I don't get what the big deal about Easter is. <clears throat> uh, Easter is God's answer to what ails us. Easter is God's solution to the horrible things that we heard about that happened yesterday in Poway. Uh, people gathering it for Passover service, uh, where you know, the whole point is celebrating the angel of death passing over the people. And then, you know, and the angel of death says, passes through the people. Uh, uh, the fact that a week ago on Easter, people in Sri Lanka were absolutely caught off guard when uh, human bombs uh, disrupted their worship of God on Easter. If there's ever a reminder of why do we need Easter, God's uh, defining presence in human history to confront sin, to confront the destructive impulses of humankind, uh, what better example uh, than last week? And if you were to ask those people, I believe if you were to interview those people this weekend and say, so <clears throat> given last weekend's events, I assume you don't follow Jesus anymore, right? They would look at you probably like, are you crazy? No, that's why we follow Jesus. Not for the privilege of being abused, persecuted, but for the privilege of standing with him to confront evil in the world and to be able to say Satan no longer rules this planet. Death no longer defines this planet. It's the risen Lord and Savior of the world, Jesus Christ, uh, who does. And so that's Easter. And so what do you do after Easter? What follows Easter? Uh, when you have the celebration, you go back to normal. Well, actually, what's normal? Uh, Easter creates a new normal. It, it, it not only demands of us, hey, there's a new normal. Do you want to be a part of it? It invites us to participate fully in that. So the way I left it off last week was this. What do you do in response to this amazing thing 
called the resurrection. You believe and you learn and you do. Believing and learning and doing. What does that look like? You believe in him. You learn from him. Uh, you do what he says. And so we're going to talk about that this morning. <clears throat> because believing in Jesus brings us close to him. Not just close as in, that's interesting. I, I'm hearing some things I haven't heard before. It brings us close to him in the sense that he's drawing us close. He's saying, come into a life-changing, life-defining relationship with me. In fact, I will enter into you. And we'll have, we'll have a relationship that will, will change everything. Uh, one of the great uh, verses often quoted to describe this is Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock. Whoever hears my voice and allows me in, invites me in, uh, we will have a relationship. In fact, he describes it as a meal. Uh, powerful. And so as we come into that relationship with him, based on his love and his grace for us, not on our worthiness or anything we've done to qualify uh, we start to learn from him. And the learning process takes us very deep. Not just deep in terms of esoteric knowledge. We're not interested in esoteric knowledge. What we're interested in is knowing the person of God and being known by him. And that inevitably takes us deep. Uh, Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. Implied in that is that the truth could possibly make you miserable in the process. Because it's going to reveal to you who you really are. Uh, Jesus' stepbrother James uh, writes a book that's concluded at the end of the New Testament. He says, you know, the word of God cuts right to the heart of us. Not to wound us, but to heal us. And so immediately after saying, okay, I believe in you, the disciples, it says they were confused. Uh, they, they worshiped him when they saw him risen from the dead. It says they doubted. They were confused and conflicted. How could this be? And yet they were compelled because they saw him and responded to his presence by worshiping him. And then what, what did they do? They, they started to do the things he said that they should do. And so as we believe in him, he brings us close. As we learn from him, he takes us deep. And as we do what he says, uh, he brings us together and forms us personally into a new creation in Christ and a new community in Christ. And then sends us out in his name. Uh, and so Jesus' disciples believed in him, but in order to understand the meaning of his resurrection, they needed to learn from him. They needed to, to learn from him. And so we're using this metaphor of being rooted in Christ uh, to describe this learning process because it's an organic process. It's just not an accumulation of interesting information. Uh, it's a transformation that comes from being grounded, rooted in him. Uh, and if you have a garden, and of course this time of year, everybody wants to have a garden, right? This is the garden time of year. Even if you just have to pose in front of your neighbor's garden, you definitely want a picture of you in a garden at this time of year because everything is, is, is so beautiful. It's just, uh, it's, 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 it's nature at its best. Uh, because we see that this, this incredible process of growth is so captivating. Uh, I, like I say all the time, you know, we have a little garden that's easy to maintain, but I just love walking out there and looking at it and saying, oh my gosh, I can't believe stuff grows here. Uh, and so they, they needed to learn from him. And that's the part I want to focus on today, that we can learn from God. Not because, again, we have nothing else better to do, but because we absolutely need what he provides and so we can learn from God because he's what we need to understand our humanity, our personal personhood, what it means to be in a community. How do we confront evil in the world without becoming evil in the process? Ironically, uh, this young man who disrupted this worship service at the synagogue yesterday thought he was stamping out some version of evil in the world. And the irony, the, 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 the perversity of this, he's, he's, he's perpetuating evil. So how do we become people who stand for justice and righteousness without becoming inflictors and perpetrators of the evil we think we're standing up against? 
And so we see, um, what I wanted to do uh, was to go right back to what would be the primary words that, that these disciples following the resurrection would turn to. Certainly it would be the, what we would call the Old Testament, the, the Bible they grew up with, Jesus' Bible, uh, the, the three parts of what we call the Old Testament, the, the Torah, the first five books, the law, um, the uh, Nevi'im, the, the prophets, uh, all those writings from the prophets, all those people like Isaiah, Jeremiah, etc. And then the writings, the things like Psalms and Proverbs and other parts of that, Song of Solomon, uh, uh, the book of Job, uh, all these writings that give us a deep sense of the wisdom of God. So together, there's an acronym, taking the Torah, the, the Nevi'im, and the Ketuvim, Tanakh. The Tanakh is the Jewish Bible. That's what they were reading. But as they were trying to process the resurrection and seeing it from Jesus' perspective in that Tanakh, uh, they started to then go back to the words of Jesus himself. So here's some of the earliest words of Jesus. He says, look, uh, if, if you are overwhelmed with burdens, and who isn't, you know, to all of you who are heavily burdened, and in need of rest, come to me, he says. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. You'll find the shalom of God in your inner being, in your core personhood. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now you might say, well, I really don't need a yoke. I don't want a yoke. This is like a great option. Uh, if you're a, a junior high kid, you don't wake up on Saturday and say, Mom, Dad, are there any extensive, non-ending chores I could do today? You know, uh, every, every teenager's worst thought is that mom and dad go, oh my gosh, it's a beautiful Saturday. I got so many things for you to do. Take my yoke upon you. You're going to love this day. And you know, I already got a yoke and she's waiting for me down at Wind and Sea, you know, kind of a thing. Uh, I, I already got plans with my friends. I, I've got a better alternative than your yoke. What Jesus is saying is that, look, all of you are wearing a yoke of your own making. It's burdening you. It's bearing down on you. It's hurting you. It's crushing your spirit. It could be the yoke of your culture, the yoke of your own expectations, uh, the yoke of your family of origin, perhaps. They might have intended well, but they've left you with lots of burdens and disconnections that plague you and, and wound you. Uh, just living in this toxic world. Uh, when I hear about young girls denying themselves food or cutting themselves, I think, what kind of yoke is that? Where did that come from? And so Jesus isn't saying, listen, I know you're free and carefree, but I have a yoke for you. You're going to really love it. It's a better alternative than the free and wonderful life you're currently living. What he says is, I see you're wearing a yoke. I have a better yoke. I have a better version of that. Uh, literally, uh, he says, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Uh, the word for easy, krestos, Greek word, means good, useful. It, it, makes, it uh, makes it easier and better to manage your life with this yoke on you. You will be yoked. The question is, whose yoke are you wearing? Are you under? Is this a yoke that presses you down, or is this a yoke that literally lifts you up? Uh, we would say, in, to put it in modern terms, it's, it's an ergonomically correct yoke. It's designed for you. It's custom fit. It's bespoke, if you will. Uh, it's God saying, I know exactly what you need to be set free to live life in all its fullness. And he says it's easy. Now, in our culture, we have somehow misunderstood what easy means. We think easy means it's irrelevant, therefore it's incidental, non-essential, and I'm going to kick back and just take it for granted. It's a lack of engagement. No, what easy means is it makes us agile. This is a yoke that allows us to be incredibly agile as we deal with life, as we deal with and confront all those barriers, all those things that could overwhelm us and possibly even destroy us. So if you said to those people from Sri Lanka, 
How can you possibly recover from this? How can you not want revenge and to spread more bloodshed? They would simply look at you and say, maybe you don't understand the abiding presence of Christ. It wants to make, it, this makes us more just, more loving, more committed than ever to understand that what would make a person do this, Jesus is the only answer to. So that's, that's the elemental thing we're talking about here. How do we get drawn into this relationship with God that changes everything? And draws us in to be fully present in our own life through believing in him and learning from him and doing what he says. We find that we're perfectly outfitted for this based on what he gives us following Easter. Uh, if you're an athlete, if you're a high elite athlete of any sort, you know what I'm talking about. You say, I have a specially designed tennis racket. I have specially designed golf clubs. I have a custom-made surfboard. There's a little cross out there. At Easter, we went out and put flowers on it. That was made by Tim Bazell. Tim Bazell has shaped about 50,000 surfboards. Uh, he, he's off, his, his little shop is down by Wind and Sea. He's one of the great surfboard shapers in, in the history of La Jolla. He made that cross. Uh, why? Because this is a great reminder that he, God is customizing to us what, exactly what we need. If you're a runner, you want special shoes. This idea of being absolutely fitted out for, for life is so important to all of us. That's why, we, why if you're a junior right now in high school, you're thinking, where am I going to go to college? Maybe I could do crew at USC. No. Um, <laughs> but the idea is, you know, what, what will I need to be fully prepared and outfitted for life? And that's what we're talking about here. So... Um, Augustine said it this way, you've made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in you. This is a rest that gives us the energy to be engaged, not the rest that just sees life as a continuous perpetual nap. And so our best work comes from learning how to rest in him, and as we learn to walk with him, out of the fullness of his presence, we are engaging in the life that we were meant to live. And out of, the, out of the overflow of his goodness and his presence, his love, his grace, his truth in us, rivers of living water, Jesus said, would flow from us. So, learning God's ways links believing and links doing. If you haven't learned his ways, all it is is good intentions. Well, I believe in him, but I don't know what to do. Or you start doing stuff. I think Jesus would want me to do this, but man, I'm so tired and bitter and burned out from doing it. Well, because unless you learn from him, unless you have the rest that he alone can provide. That's what you're setting yourself up for. Now, John Wilson um, mentioned Habitat for Humanity. Millard Fuller, a wealthy, uh, highly, <laughs> very, very successful guy in the South, uh, called up his buddy Jimmy Carter and said, hey, what, what, what could we do to help people in practical ways, to help communities help people? Because government can't be the solution to everything. And he's talking to somebody who represented the government wanting to make a solution out of everything. And to his credit, Jimmy Carter said, yeah, how do, we, how do we dive in and be a community like the one we read about in the Bible? So they were prepared, and they had to learn how to do that. It wasn't just wishful thinking and good intentions. I love the fact that, that John Wilson has answered the call to be part of that. Uh, if you go to UCSD anytime uh, these days, you'll see massive cranes all over the place. It's the official bird of the campus, the crane. There's cranes everywhere. Uh, the, other, the other day, I was taking a walk with Jan. We're in a high place in Loya. And, and I'm looking at the cranes, I said, can you believe that? It's amazing what's happening at UCSD. And if you were to go there and look at any of those projects, the guy that's making sure that they're doing it correctly is John Wilson. 
he comes up to other big dudes, scary if he didn't see him in the context of UCSD, and says, hey, you need to do that better. That needs to be done right. Let's, let's, let's get a solution to that big problem because people are going to drive on that bridge or walk on that bridge or live in that dorm or use that road. And so learning is super important. So I'm picking on John a little bit more. You know, John's a guy that came out of high school in Napa and said, hey, I'm out of here and went to Alaska to make his fortune. He became one of those deadliest catch guys and ran one of those boats for a lot of years. And next thing he knew, he was a UC Berkeley, getting an undergraduate degree in engineering, then a master's degree. Next, you know, he's one of the great seismic uh, retrofitting experts in the state of California, and he's helping to do these amazing projects. And you said, John, I want to do exactly what you do. What's the linear path? You see, there's no linear path. Just like it wasn't for you running those ships out in the Bering Strait. You've got to learn. Because if you don't learn and take the time to learn, you can't be effective. You start with the end in mind. What is it that I want to do? Oh, I want to do great things for God. Learn from him. Well, okay, I also want to experience great things in God. Oh, yeah, learn from him. I want to honor and glorify God. Learn from him. I want to bless people in his name. Learn from him. I want to overcome my family of origin. Learn from him. Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So it means being rooted in Christ. You've got to have those roots. Uh, when I see a, a plant in our garden flopped over on its side, I don't say, you weasel, you little weenie, get up and be a plant. <laughs> you wimp. I say, ah, oh, they need water. Their roots are dried up. So I water it. Um, I wanted to check on our carrots the other day. So I, I pulled out a carrot and I realized, oh, shoot. I just pulled it out. You know, I can't pull out the roots, the, the carrot. So I ate it. It was awesome. It was my, our whole harvest. When you eat a three-inch-long carrot, you know it's good. You savor it. So we've got to be rooted in Christ. And it's growing in God's love and grace then. In, 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 our, in, in his love and his grace and in knowledge that leads to this fruitful wisdom. Ultimately, the plant is going to bear a flower or a fruit. That's, in a sense, the wisdom of the plant. Something beautiful comes out of that. That's how we're made, too. And so... Uh, the first letter that we see in the New Testament, the first in a sense of chronologically first, that Jesus' words are the most primary thing we have in the New Testament. Uh, the, the New Testament started out telling these Jesus stories. We call those the Gospels. But they were the last things to be written down. But they were the, the stories, the narrative that formed people's understanding of this movement of God's spirit all around Christ. And then by the time they started to write these things down, the first letter they wrote was, was Thessalonians, we think about 50-ish. So 20 years after Jesus' resurrection, they're writing things. So what we constantly do to follow Easter is we say, let's go back to our, our roots. What did Jesus say? What did Jesus do? Then what did the people who responded to Jesus' words and deeds in the power of the resurrection, what did they say and do? And so here we see a letter to the Thessalonians by a guy named Paul writing to people who lived in northern Greece. He says, we always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. We've said that the, the, the gospel is super simple. It's Jesus' death and resurrection. That's the gospel. But what comes from the gospel is this uh, labor prompted by love, this work produced by faith, this endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. So he's writing to people who are, are experiencing the power of Easter. 
How are they doing that? In their, in their work, in their labor, uh, in their endurance. All about the same stuff. What is it that we can do to respond to Christ? Because we're learning, we're learning how to do that from him and from people who walk with him. And so learning is godly work. If you're a student right now, it's super important that you take that as a godly call. It's a high and holy calling to be uh, a student. One of the greatest essays in the 20th century was written by C.S. Lewis uh, during World War II, as all these young men were leaving Cambridge and Oxford to go fight. And those who were torn saying, well, I believe God's called me to be a student, but I want to go and sign up and be part of the movement to save our nation. C.S. Lewis said, look, some are going to be called to go do that. He could say, I was called to do that in World War I, but perhaps your calling is to stay right here. If you're a student, your highest and holiest calling is to be diligent in your study. Think about that. That's godly work. Now, if I was a professor at UCSD, we have people here who are professors at USD, and somebody came into my class and said, look, I couldn't do the paper, I couldn't be ready for the, the, the exam because I was so busy reading my Bible. That professor, he or she would rightly say, you know what, I think you've abused your responsibility and privilege. Your privilege and responsibility is to read the Bible. That supports your responsibility and your privilege of being a student. So uh, there's consequences. It's called failure, and I'll see you next semester. I can't wait to have you back in this econ class <laughs> or next quarter, right? And so our best work, it's not our only work, but it's our best work. Why? Because it supports all of our other work. It supports all the work you do to learn from God, to grow in your faith, is all about preparing you to support the work he's going to call you to do in the world. I want my surgeon to have really studied well. But I love it when I hear surgeons in our congregation say, you know, I've, I've done my best to be the best surgeon I can be, and I always pray before I do surgery because I recognize the one whom I serve. I love when I hear psychologists say, I'm so ready to, to give good counsel, but I'm constantly praying for people as they come into my office. And when I find out they're followers of Jesus, I'll, I'll offer to pray with them. And likewise, my friends who are physicians will say, I, once I figure out a person has a faith, I'll say, can I pray for you? Don't you love it when a teacher is seeing something in a kid because they go, I get that that kid's made in the image of Christ. I'm gonna be the best eighth grade teacher ever but I see that kid as a unique, unrepeatable miracle of God's handiwork. You see where this goes? So I don't want to hear somebody saying, I didn't have time to read the document, but I prayed about it. Would you just sign it? I say, that's, that's totally bogus. I want you to say, I read and studied this carefully. In fact, at points I asked God to give me wisdom and discernment so I could really see it. And I think it's a really good document that I, I advise you to sign it. Doesn't it change your perspective? Okay, so we see going further in First Thessalonians, he says, For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he's chosen you, because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and deep conviction. So 20 years on, he's saying, 20 years since Jesus' resurrection, you've heard this message. I've experienced it. I'm writing about it. You've heard it from us. And now you're experiencing it in an authentic way that we can see the fruit of that emerging in you. You've taken it seriously. You obviously are learning from Jesus because we see power and, and we see the work of the Holy Spirit. We see a deep conviction, which means a sense of, I really believe this. I can't imagine life without this. And so learning confirms God's truth in our minds. That we've wrestled with the implications of what this means. We see God's presence in our soul. There's something in our character that's changing and being shaped. 
We see God's authority in our heart. We have this resilient capacity to love and accept people, to forgive people, to speak the truth in love. And we see God's sovereignty in our will. We have sheer dogged endurance because we believe in the one in whom uh, we've been saved and are being saved. Finally, Paul says, and we also thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as a human word. Wow, you were so persuasive. I think I'll, I'll sign on for that. You know what? I've noticed that if you can talk somebody into something, somebody else can talk them out of it. But this is not about persuasive words. Uh, this is about you accepted these words, not as human words, but you understood that there was something else going on here, that we were simply conveying these precious truths that we had learned and embraced ourselves. And we're bearing witness to that, proclaiming and teaching and demonstrating uh, this kingdom of God. And so he says, but you've, you've accepted it as it actually is, the word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe. And not only are words that convince you, but now that you see God working in you, you're more than ever con uh, convinced. This is an awesome thing about seeing a, a child turn into a teenager, turn into a young adult saying, I believe Jesus. I thank God that my mother and father were faithful in proclaiming and teaching and demonstrating the gospel to me, walking me through the implications and the practical application of God's word. But it's not their faith. It's mine. You cannot inherit faith. You can see it demonstrated, and if it's demonstrated in a compelling, authentic way, you'll say, I want that too. I love seeing that. That's the power of being a multi-generational church, making room for everybody at the table. Because you say, I want to influence that young person. I want to call out things in them that they might not be aware of. Wow, I see something awesome in you. Are you aware of that? I see great promise in you. What are you gonna do with that? And I love the, the, the reciprocal mutuality of that when a, when a young person says, man, thank you for being you, mom. Dad, I can't imagine my life without you. I wanna be a dad just like you. Don't you want uh, every one of your kids or grandkids to be known by five other adults out there at least? Don't you want when your kid is going from that side of the campus to the side so he goes, hey, how you doing? Oh my gosh, yeah, hi. And, and, and the parent goes, how do you know that guy? Oh man, we talk all the time. Really? That's powerful. That's powerful. I've never met a person uh, old enough to really think seriously about where they've been, where they have more life behind them than ahead of them, who doesn't say, let me tell you about the people who shaped me. I met with a 90-year-old guy this week, and he came from a really difficult family circumstance. And he's done phenomenally well in his life at every level, in every way. I said, who, who made the difference in you? And predictably, he started talking about these mentors, these people who influenced him. Wow. He didn't talk about the deprivations or the degradations. He talked about the people who saw something in him and called it out. And so you accepted it. I asked you the question, are you accepting the word of God as a foundational text and narrative for your life? How do you know? Well, I think I've accepted it. How would I know? You read it. You've not, you're not just ingesting it, you're digesting it. You keep coming back and feasting on the Word of God. Personally, you're reading through it. You're going to a life group and saying, hey, let's read through this passage. You're coming to church and you're interacting uh, with, with what me or whoever is up here is, is saying. Uh, I'm in a life group. I love this life group I'm in because it's super simple. A bunch of guys that don't know anything, including me, are learning together and growing together. And what we do every time is we, we, we go through books of the Bible. We just open it up and read a chapter. And we'll say, okay, uh, what grabbed you in this? 
What words, phrases jumped out at you? We chew on it, we talk about it, we interact with it, we start getting smarter and more insightful. And then we end up by saying, well, what do you think we should do about this? What do you think God would have you do about this? Remember something? Thank him for something? Change something? Do something you haven't done before? Powerful. And then it says, it's at work in you who believe. Do you believe the word of God is at work in you as you believe in it? You probably do if you've been taking enough time to pay attention to it because you start to connect the dots. My gosh, as I've been reading the Word of God, I start to handle some things differently. I start to think about things differently. I start to respond to people differently. Let me say a word about this. Believing God's Word does not make it true. <laughs> let, let that sink in for a moment. Believing in God's Word does not make it true. We live in a culture where if I believe in it, it's true. Think about that. How do you know that's true? I believe in it. I feel good about it. Wow, interesting. How do you know? It's true. We believe it because it is true. We ask the hard questions. We say, where did this come from? What's it connected to? Does this rehold water? Does this hold up under scrutiny? Why, why would anybody believe that Jesus rose from the dead? Well, let's look at it. Think about that. We don't believe it so that we then say it's true. We believe in it because it is true. We become ever more convinced that, my gosh, this is true. And then we make it personal. My God, this is true. Thank you. God is working in us through his Holy Spirit. We can believe because we're being convinced over and over and over again that his word is true. And it cuts to the heart of who we are. And the parts we don't understand, we say, okay, I'm going to be patient as I try to understand why this is in here and what this could possibly mean because I'm convinced about some other things. So because the resurrection is true, that helps me come into every new passage saying, if the resurrection is true, and this is in God's word, let me approach it openly and honestly and say, what do I need to understand here? And it's okay to ask the hard questions and to resonate with that, wrestle with that. And so faith becomes personal but not private. Again, in our culture, faith is a very private thing. It's my private thing. Right, if it's not private, it can't be held up to the light of day. You know, sunlight is the greatest disinfectant. Let's hold it up to the light of day and see if it really looks right. Uh, a, a dad with a young son was talking to me this week. He said, hey, I got a question for you. <clears throat> when I start talking to my son about some really important issues I want to talk to him about, he says, dad, that's private. So, well, yeah, you know, uh, that's, that's a pretty convenient way of saying, dad, I don't want to talk about it. But also, you know, you want to respect his, his, his personhood and not just pry into his life and bug him. But maybe it'll help him if you start helping him distinguish between personal and private. Because personal is, is deep and personal intimate. But you, you, you might say, well, who am I going to share this with? If everything is private, I'll never share it. Therefore, it takes on a life of its own in my head. It becomes a controlling narrative in my head. This is one of the most beautiful times when you see a person make a breakthrough in their life. They'll start saying things that they've never said before. You know, I always saw myself this way. I've always thought about life this way. I've always concluded this about those people. And as they get it out in front of them, they go, you know what? Uh, now that I hold it out there, I'm not buying it anymore. Private disconnects us from the world. Personal connects us to the world. Now, a, a personal thought, a personal belief, a personal experience, you might choose very carefully who to share it with. But if you can't share it with anybody, check your, check your math on that. You might be doing something privately that is going to destroy you. Satan wants everything to be private. 
God wants everything to be personal. That's why life groups are powerful. When you get comfortable with people and say, hey, I'm wrestling with this issue. I'm really thinking of having an affair. I'm so close to having this affair. You're in a place where people are saying, wow. Instead of judging you, they say, well, what do you think is, is, is motivating you to want to have an affair? I don't know exactly. I, I just never felt so close to somebody. Wow. Did you ever feel close to your spouse before? Yeah, but that's changed a long time ago since I felt close. Wow. I wonder what would happen if you took that really authentic need to feel close and maybe rekindle that. Take another look at that. And all of a sudden you get to process what otherwise would have been this private thought. They would set you up for disaster. Most things that people do are private thoughts that set them up for disaster. This kid that shot people at the synagogue, he releases all his private thoughts after the fact. Had he released those private thoughts to some people he trusted and said, hey, this is what I'm thinking, here's what I'm going to do, what do you think? They go, I think we need to talk. Instead, they were private thoughts until they become public. I'm saying the Bible wants us to be personally connected in a deep way with our faith. It's not a hidden private project. Why? Because it shapes us in and for community. Faith thrives in a learning, supportive community. Not group think, not group shaming, not the coercive nature of despotic authoritarian communities called cults or some kinds of governments, but rather a conversation rooted in reality, processed in community. That's why self-help groups are powerful. It's a community experience of getting progress in things that are true and connecting it to the real world. Psychologists would call this congruity. My inner world and outer world are congruent. Now, where does this come from? This whole idea that, that we're to love God and ourselves and other people and his whole creation, that we're better together. It comes out of Genesis 2.15, that God put us in the garden to tend it and protect it. It's a basic theological premise that infuses everything we believe. That God wants us to cultivate our garden and protect our garden. And we protect our garden best by cultivating. You want to have a healthy garden? Cultivate it. You want to make your, 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 your garden ultimately pest-proof? Don't put herbicides and pesticides in it. Cultivate it properly. And your garden will thrive and grow. So we protect our garden by doing that. And so your commitment to grow through the seasons of life is how you will thrive in the seasons of life. It's personal and it becomes immediately communal that reinforces the personal nature of it. You feel supported and developed as a person. Most safe places in our culture are meant to say you can't talk about things that are true or real. The biblical version of a safe place is this is where you can process truth and put it out there for scrutiny and support in processing it. Do you see how powerful that is? We all need that. And this is what sets us up for learning and virtue. This is where it goes. Virtue means growing in righteousness, being rightly related to God and people, to all of creation. But the question is, whose version of righteousness? This is where you get to the doing, because doing is all a reflection of virtue. What is, the, what is the goodest thing to do? What's the best thing to do? What's the highest, uh, most honorable way to live? And do you know that we are in a resurgence of virtue right now in our culture? There are so many books being produced uh, academically and culturally about virtue. Why? We're hungry for virtue. Think of all the movements, Black Lives Matter, uh, uh, Me Too, or, uh, you know, all these different art uh, movements. They're virtue movements. Concerns about racism, con concerns about inequality, concerns about any number of things are virtue-driven. 
Now the question is, whose version of righteousness and virtue is it? Just because you invoke virtue does not mean it's righteous. Let that sink in. A guy just got out of prison. He was, he was the head of a company called Enron. Uh, and a book was written about him, a very wonderful book called The Smartest Guys in the Room. It was not exactly a laudatory book because they thought they were the smartest guys in the room. Well, some of these guys had, had really shiny degrees from Harvard Business School. And it turns out a lot of people who had shiny degrees from business schools were getting into these same kinds of predicaments. So all these business schools said, oh my gosh, that's it. We need to emphasize ethics in business. Harvard made a big deal. We're going to have an ethics process. And we're going to teach ethics at Harvard Business School. And do you know how many classes in ethics they teach 20 years after? Zero. And the reason they teach, or if they do, it's if you go, come on, that's not really virtuous. You're saying don't get caught. That's not really a virtue. <laughs> Be smarter how you do your taxes offshore. Uh, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not suggesting Harvard is an evil place. Um, uh, that's somebody else's analysis. But I would tell you this, uh, that they couldn't decide on a basis for virtue. So they could not teach classes on ethics. That's where this goes, ultimately. What is the basis for our righteousness? Because when I hear people raise virtue issues, I'm always like, yeah, I'm all over it. Bring on virtue. We need more of that. Tell me your basis for this virtue. Well, I'm going to take the money from these people. And go, okay, that's, is that, I don't know if that's virtuous. Well, we're not going to let these people live here. Well, I don't know if that's virtuous. That sounds like a band-aid, not a virtue. A virtue brings out the best in everybody and everybody thrives. This is where the gospel goes post-Easter. And so invoking virtue is not enough. And so Jeremiah says, my people have committed two sins. They've forsaken me, first of all, the spring of living water. And they've dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. Cisterns are things that hold water. We say, God, I know you say you have a cistern that will refresh us. I've, I've come up with my own. And God, in his you know, grace and but, but truth, would say, I notice it's very leaky. Very leaky. If you want to talk to one of the great authorities on water in the world, you talk to Costa. Costa is a, is a water expert. And every nation right now around the world is going, what do we do with our water? How do we keep it clean? How do we not lose it? How do we get to distribute it to the people who need it? Jeremiah had a critique. This is a problem. Whose basis of righteousness he's basically talking about are you going to live on? Isaiah said this, woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. So why are we talking about virtue? Because this is where learning from God goes. It creates a virtuous life that allows us to do things that glorify God and bless people. If you're doing anything and you think it's in Jesus' name, you have to ask yourself two questions. Is God being honored and glorified and are people being blessed? You will do some things that feel counterintuitive. A friend of mine at a wonderful company here in La Jolla and it made a lot of money and he said, hey, I got a big problem. I said, what's your big problem? He said, well, uh, my CFO, uh, who's also a, a brother in Christ, I just found out has been embezzling me for hundreds of thousands of dollars. I said, wow, that is a big problem. Especially it's a problem because he represents himself as your brother in Christ. Uh, there's some deception there. There's some depravity there. And he goes, yeah, so here's my, my, my dilemma. What I want to talk to you about is that, that you know, do I, do I press charges and hold him accountable for that or do I just forgive him? It's the most Christian thing to forgive him. I said, well, I don't know if those are, that's a binary. I say, your, 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 your responsibility to him is to help him process this, and the government will help you do that. 
they, they are equipped to help you help him process this. And so by holding him accountable under the law, that's a just process. They'll allow him to deal with the consequences of his behavior. And perhaps, depending on how it goes, he might have many months and years to process what it means to walk with Christ and be your brother and come out of that process a different, better man. And he's going, oh my gosh, I, I, I had this guilt. I said, yeah, it's called false guilt. When we don't want to help people move toward a virtuous outcome, that's false guilt. If you protect your children from virtue, you're setting them up for disaster. If we protect anybody, if we try to protect our marriage by not dealing with it virtuously, we'll have affairs or we'll have more divorces. If you don't treat the data in your research virtuously, you'll have bad data and people will die from the stuff that they ingest or the processes they submit themselves to based on your data. The bridge is going to fall down, the medication won't work, and the surgical tool will, will give them hepatitis C or something. So you see where this goes. Virtue is the fruit of obeying God and having your character shaped by him as you believe in him, learn from him, and do what he says. This is what Easter means in terms of its implications. So what follows Easter? Believing and learning and doing. What are the next steps? Join a life group. You heard about that this morning. Attend what's next. What's next is a great next step to talk about how do I live into, develop, build, be built by a relationship with Jesus. What are the elements of that that I need to learn how to appropriate and benefit from? The men's carne asada night, or for those who don't like meat, uh, it'll be the tofu asada night. We can do anything you'd like. <laughs> But that's a great opportunity to start to learn what it means to be in community. Uh, the Money Matters class, it goes without saying. We're stewards of all things, including our money. So what do you do? You tend and protect your garden. That's how you become rooted in Christ. We become the garden. We are the garden of God. Tend your garden. Protect your garden. How? Cultivate it. And that will be the way to care for it. So Lord Jesus, that's my prayer for me, for my family, for my brothers and sisters, for our our, our family of faith here. I pray this for those who are discouraged and struggling, Lord, that you give them a very real sense of your abiding presence and the hope that comes with that. For those who are wrestling with deep, deep doubt and wondering if they could trust in you, Lord, I pray that you'd give them the assurance of your word working in them. For those, Lord, who are, are, are experiencing life in the best possible way they've ever known it, help them to see this as an opportunity, a platform for honoring and glorifying you and for blessing people in your name. This is our prayer. We pray it in your name. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Steve. This brings us to a time of tithes and offering. If you have your bulletins, you can take out your connection or prayer card and you can pa pa pass those down and put them in the basket. This is a time for those who call LJCZ home. Give back out of the blessings we receive. If you want any information about the stuff that we've talked about today, come see me after the service. We have our What's Next class right after this in the Welcome Center. Food's provided. It's an opportunity just to celebrate the greatest gift we've been given, which is Jesus Christ, and discuss the, what does that relationship look like in a day-to-day -day life. So let's continue our time of worship with giving and song. Worthy of every song we could ever sing. Worthy of all the praise we could ever bring. Worthy of every breath we could ever bring. We live for you. We live for you. Jesus' name. 
Yeah. 
how do you how do you do that? You believe and you learn and you do over and over and over again, one day at a time, now and forevermore. And you will become exactly what we've been singing about. A person so alive in Christ that it flows from you. Not only blesses you and those around you, but the world in his name. And you will become resilient, unstoppable, and irresistible because Christ is exalted in you and people are blessed when Christ is exalted. So now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon us all, both now and forevermore. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Oh, by the way, if this, uh, our, our dear brother Jim Updegraff passed away, went to be with the Lord this week. Uh, for those of you who know him, and there'll be a memorial service at Bishop School on Saturday, this coming Saturday at 2 o'clock. Uh, uh, parking will be allowed at the church across the street, La Jolla Presbyterian Church. I've heard they have a phenomenal parking garage there that you can park in uh, and be there at 2 o'clock uh, on Saturday at Bishop School if you'd like to be part of uh, supporting the Eptograph family and celebrating Jim, one of the great uh, brothers in Christ in the life of this church uh, and uh, one of the great uh, teachers at Bishop's who exalted Christ in his life every day. God bless you.